0: You're listening to the CyberWire Network, powered by N2K. Welcome to Afternoon Cyber Tea, where we explore the intersection of innovation and cybersecurity. I'm your host, Dan Johnson. From the front lines of digital defense to groundbreaking advancements shaping our digital future, We will bring you the latest insights, expert interviews, and captivating stories to stay one step ahead. Today, I'm joined by the Executive Vice President of Microsoft Security, Charlie Bell. Charlie has over four decades of leadership experience in the tech industry, from developing space shuttle software to leading the creation of Amazon Web Services' decentralized engineering system, and now working here at Microsoft to make the digital world secure and safe for everyone on the planet. Charlie relishes big challenges and believes that bold innovation is possible with deep curiosity, continuous learning, and an emphasis on rapid problem solving. Welcome to the show, Charlie.
1: It's great to be here, Anne. Thanks.
0: So, Charlie, you've had this really extraordinary and absolutely inspiring career in technology, and I would love for our audience to hear a little bit more about your journey. So, can you tell us how you got your start, and then what ultimately led you to your role leading the Microsoft Security Organization? Wow.
1: Yeah, it's, um, it's been a kind of a crazy wandering path. I started out as a programmer working on the space shuttle. I wasn't doing the flight software. I was working on the engineering world doing mechanical engineering and other things for payload integration. We, we put the payloads in the shuttle. The shuttle was this space truck that goes up and down and NASA figured out, oh my gosh, we got a lot of logistics to do here. We got to strap things in, take them out. They got to have power. They got to have signal. They got to have, they got to make sure they're not going to get baked on orbit or they're not going to fall out the back. And there were all kinds of things that we had to do. And I had a lot of fun writing that software. And then I was thinking about changing careers just because, well, that's a rocket factory. They're you know, they building space shuttles and all I'm doing is writing a bunch of software on how to do things. And I was having a conversation with the guy in front of me. He was a flight interface engineer. He was actually doing the hard engineering of how do you actually put these things in? And he said, oh, you ought to do what I do. I said, well, I couldn't do what you do. And my next one-on-one with our boss, because we both reported to the same later, he said, well, I think you're going to do mission 61 Baker. And I, I didn't know what he was talking about. I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, you're a flight inter- interface engineer. You're gonna do 61 bigger. Apparently the guy had talked to him and they'd already worked that out. So I got out of software. I was doing uh, flight interface engineering, which was just a blast. I mean, I got, I did a mission down in Houston. I worked a console, uh, not, not the glamorous thing in the mission support room. It's an engineering thing where you get all the problems and you have to solve them really quick. But it was a lot of great experience. I worked with some amazing people on the space program. And then the Challenger happened, which, kind of put NASA on its heels. It was tough. You know, we were planning on ramping up to 40 flights a year and suddenly we had a whole different view of how we were going to handle this thing. And so I started playing with back in software with while we were in stand down with a couple of database lights. I got into database software and ended up working for Oracle for seven years. It was a lot of fun. Oracle was great because my aerospace background, I spent a lot of time with Boeing. It's actually how I got up here in the Northwest. We were writing software for the electrical Organization at Boeing, putting a database under diagrams, it and was, it was a lot of fun. I wrote a, lot of, wrote a lot of C code, and I got tricked into doing management at one point. Somebody came to me and said, "Well, you, you know, you, you ought to do this," and I said, "Okay, I'll try it." I didn't have a lot of desire to do it, but as I started to do it, I realized, "Okay, I get to I get to have a little more impact." And um, then the internet happened. That was 1995 uh, ish. Uh, 96, I I left Oracle to start a company. It was it was called Server Technologies. We are building an e-commerce platform, and it was really cool. We got going. We were literally uh, rolling for a couple of years. We had customers. Very exciting. We had one engineer still bringing in because we are all self-funded, bringing in cash by consulting with this little startup across the lake. They were doing e-commerce, and I needed him back. So I had a conversation with the CIO of that startup. He ended up buying my company, that, that, that was Amazon. And so 1998, March of 98, the 12 of us, so we were very small, it was no, nothing big in material, ended up, it was an aqua hire. He was, he was basically looking for the Oracle talent because they were using a lot of Oracle. And so we ended up over there at uh, Amazon and oh boy, what a ride, 23 years. I, I got the job, first job actually was running a customer service applications. That was actually really interesting. Uh, But I was only doing that for a few months when the CIO there said, hey, I need you to run infrastructure. And I thought, wow, that's the worst job in any company. But okay, it's got to be fun. It's Amazon. I'll do it. And boy, was it a ride. I had so much fun doing it. I learned all kinds of things. Uh, I learned all about networks and data centers and operating systems, all kinds of stuff we provided. It was crazy. But what would happen... We understood that there was this interesting problem that developers had to muck with infrastructure and they were all mucking in the same way. So we built uh, AWS and that was initially just pretty raw compute service, EC2 and uh, S3 was uh, simple storage. Actually, the very first one was the uh, simple messaging service, but that was so small and really didn't count. The first two were those compute and storage. Anyway, we did that. That was crazy. I got to see the whole cloud thing happen and I, I feel kind of lucky. I went through this. Uh, I saw the internet happen with e-commerce, and I see the cloud thing happen. And what happened was it got to be a big deal. And Jeff said he was going to retire, and it caused me to think a little bit about well, I'm, at, at my age, you could probably do one more thing that that is important. I, I you know, I could I could try something, or, or I could stay and and do this. And both of them were kind of interesting. And the more I thought about it, though, the more I thought that security was uh, a, a huge problem in the world that was just going to get bigger. It's a very interesting problem. And as you know, you're in this business. And I just see the, the future of this needed help and whatever I could add would help. And so I thought, so I was talking to my wife and I said, well, I wonder where I would do this. She said, oh, you ought to talk to Satya. She knew Satya. And so anyway, I ended up in building 34 over there uh, talking to Satya. And the more I talked to him I realized, oh, my gosh, Microsoft's really committed to, to this problem. And, you know, there was already a lot of work, good work that had been done. And so this was in August of 21, I came over to work on the security problem. And it's been a hell of a lot of fun ever since.
0: You know, whenever I hear you tell your story, Charlie, I am reminded of an Apollo 13, right? And some of the parallels to security because creativity, ingenuity, teamwork, never give up. All of those things are things we think about in the industry. So your experience in the space program is really relevant, as well as obviously married with your experience at AWS, but it's relevant to problem-solving and security and how we think about problems. Absolutely.
1: It's so true. I mean, you you tackle a very large problem. I think it's easy to be daunted by those very large, complex problems and think, oh my gosh, how is this ever going to work? I, I've developed some confidence that we are going to we're going to solve this. You know, I won't, I mean, you won't ever eliminate the bad actors, uh, I don't think. Maybe human nature will change over 100 years. I don't know, but it's certainly not in our lifetimes. But I think we can do some some great things here to make it not the dominant thing in our lives.
0: Yeah, no doubt. So, and you're coming up, as you mentioned, on two years. And obviously you had this really impactful and meaningful career before Microsoft. So tell me why Microsoft and why the pivot to security?
1: Well, like I said, I was looking at, uh, when I started thinking about, well, what, what is the big problem in the world that I want to work on? And the more I thought about it, it's security is the, I call it the mother of all problems because almost everything we do in technology can become a weapon in the hands of someone. And so you think about all the advances that humanity has had you know, since fire and uh, everything that we create in the computer world, in the technology world can be turned around and used as a weapon. And and so you can't really make the kind of progress we all want to make unless we first solve this problem. So it's kind of the mother of all problems. Unless you feel secure, imagine, you know, all the work that we're going to do to change the world of transportation. We're going to have a lot of autonomous cars and we're going to have all the uh, rail that's driven by software and just all the transportation world is incredibly digital now. Well, it's a surface area that makes you very nervous about what attackers might do or power infrastructure. You know, we've seen attacks on gas pipelines. You know, one of the things we hate about ransomware is they go after hospitals. And so when you think about this problem, until you solve this problem, we're, we have to walk afraid in everything we, we want to advance because everything we add could could end up being a new source of, of, of problems. So I, I, for me, this, this was like the biggest problem of all. And the other thing that made it, makes it very interesting is you have a bunch of bad actors out there who are innovating to try to create new problems. And getting ahead of that innovation, it's not like most problems you solve, you solve the problem, and you move to the next one. You know, you get this solution, you know, you build a better car, and now you figure out how to digitize it and turn it autonomous and on and on. But in security, everything you build ends up being twisted and turned by somebody else who's trying to innovate, and so I think that makes the problem it makes it very difficult, but also challenging and therefore very interesting to tackle. And so that that was what's going through my head. The other thing that I also thought about is, gosh, I know a lot about the world. You know, my, I thought about I thought about what is my experience going to be useful for? Like, what? How can I be useful? What, you know, what is my background going to help? And I thought, well, I know a bit about you know infrastructure and cloud and. I know a bit about a lot of things. I know a lot about data and, and how it works. And thought, well, you know, I also know a lot of services and operations and things like that. A lot of that all comes together in security. So I felt, yeah, I would, I would be able to help in this area.
0: There's no doubt, right? There's no doubt you have helped in this area. And I know in listening to you and speaking with you, you consider it a great honor, a great responsibility to build technology in service for our customers. And you speak with senior leaders at every company and every sector and every part of the world. So can you tell the audience a little bit about some of the top security-related opportunities and challenges you hear consistently from customers? How does that frame your strategy and your thinking about what we need to do at Microsoft and also in this ecosystem that we think about when we think about collective defense? And security problems really being an ecosystem solved for the industry.
1: Well, by the way, is
0: one of the reasons I did. I
1: thought again, thinking about the problem and how customers. I was talking to a lot of customers about this. The first thing is they. It's too hard. I mean, when you think about the complexity of the modern technology world, it's too hard to get it right. And so, I think one of the big problems they have is getting set up correctly. The analogy I've used is, you know, imagine. a a football field. And and by the way, I'll use the European and rest of the world definition of football, not the American version where you touch the ball with your hands. Odd to call it football. But imagine you have this pitch and you can make it 20 miles long and you make the goal two feet wide. It gets a lot harder to be a very low scoring game. And so that's what customers want. They want to have everything set up correctly and, and not have to worry about the problem because they know that they're they're, they're set from the start. And being a provider, you get to understand like the latest, like you get to understand, for example, what is happening in, in containers or what's happening in AI right now. And you understand how it's evolving and, and how people are using it and that helps you protect it better. And so that, that was one reason I came to Microsoft. And also by the way, the whole end user world, I mean, attackers go after people because we're sadly we're the weak link in the chain. And so having being a provider, Of productivity technology of of email and and documents and analytics and things like that i think helps understand the problem better But, but that's what i hear from customers is is just being better protected and then the other problem they have is as they try to build the way that they protect themselves and of course they have to be the problem is attackers are moving ever faster they're they're automating they're moving with the speed of machines now I think the average, I think we said an hour and 17 minutes, I think was the average time to goal for an attacker getting in now. That's the average. And so they're moving incredibly fast. And so defending requires a very unified look at everything going on and the ability to move with machine speed. And the problem that customers have today is most of the tools they can, they can put on the problem, they're very fragmented. Uh, many of the customers I've talked to, they might have a hundred security tools that they're applying to the problem. And so you know, we talk a lot about end-to-end, but it's it's basically getting one way of looking at, you know, you take away some of the advantage the attacker has. The attacker comes from any point, but if you can see the entire field, if you can see everything, then you get to employ everything in the defense. And so so I think that's the other thing I hear from customers is getting rid of the seams in their defense and in their posture and the way they're set up and, and really getting to one one view of it.
0: Yeah, I, I, look, I, I think that makes sense. And t- to the point, we talk a lot about end-to-end and we talk a lot about, you know, having a cohesive platform and visibility and the big problems we're trying to solve because with too many disparate tools, you have seams, right? And you have surface area you can't see that's open for the bad actors. And I know you, I know you know this. And. As you look to solve that, I, I listen in on, you know, and, and participate in a lot of the calls you have with your leadership team. And one of the things that always struck me and that I think is really poignant to security is this leadership philosophy you have around rapid problem solving. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and explain why you think speed and acceleration of problem solving is so relevant, particularly in the security space? Yeah.
1: Well, a couple of things. One is, as I said, it's the mother of
0: all problems. And so
1: if you want to think of it, is, uh, you got to be faster than the fastest innovation so take the the absolute tip of the spear in what's happening and you got to move that fast if you want to protect and so that's one driver of speed you know we're seeing it play out in in generative ai right now microsoft's the first mover in this space but we got to move really really fast in the security world just to make sure that the customers can confidently move forward with it but also you got to remember what i said before the the attackers are constantly innovating again you have humans out there actively innovating all the time and so so the speed that you move you just got to move faster than they do and so speed is everything the other thing I, i'll say is the nice thing about speed is you accumulate it and so the faster you innovate the more quickly you get to the next thing and the more more you can build upon what you already did and the it's the 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 way to think of it it's like the first derivative of the of the sp- of the rate that you're traveling, so so the speed of innovation is incredibly important, and recognize that it's kind of a, it's a community thing. There's no genius that's going to figure everything out here. It's going to be a crowdsourced kind of view of all the ideas that come in, and then make sure that you can quickly harness those ideas and and get them in the hands of of the people who need them.
0: Yeah, there's no doubt. And doing that rapidly, staying one step ahead of the bad actors who are innovating and innovating with investment, right? It's incredibly important. Let's switch a little and talk innovation, right? Microsoft has been in the news and internally hyper-focused on AI, which I've long believed is going to be a step change for the cybersecurity industry. So what do you think about the overall promise of AI and what global issues, you know, not, even outside of security, do you think are going to be addressed with AI?
1: Well, The first thing I'll say is, you know, we talk about the asymmetry of the the attacker, the fact that, you know, they come at us from any point. It's like first move in a chess game. They get to move first. But we actually have an asymmetry, too. The asymmetry on our side is data. We get to see everything. You know, Microsoft, we talk about the 65 trillion signals a day, but we have a tremendous amount of data. And as you see what's going on, uh, you can take what you see in one spot and you can defend everything with it. So... The data asymmetry is a, think of it as a big half of the solution to tilting things in our favor, but the other half of it is to harness everything that you have. And, you know, one of the challenges in security, it's been a very bespoke kind of industry. You know, you have your experts in the network and experts in endpoint and experts in, email and and each of the areas you operate in identity and access and privilege and everything else and so you get experts and the problem is to be great at security you got to be over the whole thing it's again it goes back to what we said it's end to end and so it's very hard for us to get humans that can think that system thinkers that can get across all that and think about the whole thing and so we end up siloing and passing things and it slows everything down for us the nice thing about ai is it's all discipline. It doesn't care about a particular discipline. It thinks about across all of it and it thinks about it with lightning speed. It it, it knows, it can say, oh, I need to go look at the access logs for X and pull a query and, and grab it and use that information to provide context for the next action that it's gonna take. And it does all that at machine speed. And so if there ever is gonna be anything that totally changes that asymmetry, it is AI. Because you're the fact that you can harness everything you have and do it with machine speed now, that, that makes it very difficult for attackers. Because remember, they do have a data disadvantage. They only get to see the surface, and they only get to see what the, the area that they've been able to get to. But remember, we see the whole thing. We just haven't been able to harness it all. And that's that's what AI is going to let us do.
0: I think that's a great way of looking at it. And look, I think the possibilities are endless. And I've, I've said this so often, but there's also, you know, we want to cut through hype. We want to cut through noise. so. To bring it down to today, you know, what security use cases are short-term? What's real? And then maybe what's your future thinking?
1: Well, um, oh, and you asked me before about other things that we might apply that, uh, AI to, and I, that, that, would take a, that would take a long, long day, I think, to go through. This is what's happening in Gen AI. You know, you've seen it from Microsoft, all the things that we're doing. But in security, I'd say... We can use it for so many things and it will, it's advancing very quickly. I think that one of the initial problems that we have to go to work on right away is what I said, that you don't have the experts. I think the number is three and a half million jobs go wanting in security just because we don't have the people to do them. And so I think the very first thing we go after is the defenders, the people who protect and make them incredibly productive so that we have only a few thousand jobs that go wanting. We'll feel much safer and much better. And so just making defenders much more productive, being able to handle an incident and be able to move across everything with machine speed, be able to go to the next step, go to the next step, look at the next thing and do it faster than the attackers could ever do it. I think, you know, those would be some of the first early use cases. I think posture is another one. I think looking at the way things are set and configuration and, and just processing where, and by the way, the priorities, because one of the things I love about the AI is you can ask it, which things should I work on first? But but just getting that side of it. I think another place we're going to see right away. These are all right away things that we can go after. I think we're going to see it in how we how we build code. If you go look at GitHub Copilot, I'd like to say it's a security tool. Uh, it's, a, it's a developer tool, but it's a great security tool because it can write vulnerability free code and and it can look at existing code and tell you. Those those are some of the early use cases. It's going to get broader. I think we'll we'll get we'll get deeper into helping the business understand how to solve problems in brand new ways. Protecting AI is going to be a big, important part of it. I think for those that haven't followed what happens with Gen AI, you basically converse with the AI in that natural language. It's not an API. You don't say, uh, "Here's you know, get me this, put me this. You give it a natural language question. And it processes it. and of course that means that it's if somebody were able to get into that stream, they can manipulate the AI. And you can imagine if you have agents, AI agents out there, and bad actors are able to manipulate those agents, that's a whole new whole new world. And so I think we'll use AI to defend AI. You know one of the cleverest things I've seen is some of the applications of AI to basically spot when somebody's trying to manipulate and protect their and so and it, using AI in other ways to understand where maybe where bad actors are attempting to use technology in a new way and pervert it to do something wrong. So and certainly it's going to permeate everything we do to to get set up correctly. And it'll be in our one one thing I've said often is that security and management are really two sides of the same coin, security and availability. A lot of the things you do to make sure that bad actors can't deliberately do something, you also do to make sure that your people can't accidentally do. And so there's an awful lot of things that we're
0: we're going to be able to do in that space as well. That's fantastic. And, you know, I spent a lot of time thinking about the ecosystem. And you and I have talked about security management identity as all things that are important to us, but also a belief that it's a team sport, right? And that public-private partnership is important. And us developing an ecosystem with startups, the enterprise security community is also important. How do you think about that? How do you think of all of us coming together for defense? Well, you nailed it, Anne.
1: It's again, it was what made me excited to come to Microsoft. And you know, I go back when I did my startup back in the mid 90s, I knew that I would need to work. I mean, you know, we're a startup, we're going to work on some technology platform. We're going to try to rewrite operating systems and all that. And thought about a few companies. And then I started talking to Microsoft, but we were a Microsoft partner. Everything we built, we went from Oracle, we were all the Oracle experts, we built everything on Microsoft technology. Why? Because Microsoft, by its nature, was open to, uh, working closely with with startups and and other companies and 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 it's been that way ever and so the insecurity it's so important because the space is so vast as i said it's the biggest problem and in fact i think we talk sometimes about the economic loss that happens in the security space it's like 6 trillion a year which if it were a gdp it would be like the third largest gdp be actually bigger than Japan and growing faster than India, which is the fastest growing GDP in the top 20. And so when you think about the landscape, how big this is, and how much help needs to be brought to the problem, uh, it's not going to happen from one company. You know, Microsoft isn't going to be the answer. It needs leaders. And it needs some ability to bring people together because of the fragmentation problem we were talking about. But it doesn't mean that you need one provider. And it is going to take a team. An ecosystem, by the way, a partnership with government, incredibly important. I think the work we do worldwide with different government entities and also the laws and how we how we make sure that bad actors don't persist out there, I think are really important. But but it's a partnership of government, of organizations, large companies. You know, we work closely with the financial services because they're a really important part of the infrastructure, power infrastructure, and all of the ecosystem of ISVs and systems integrators and service providers. It's it takes the, the community to to really and it is our advantage, by the way. There's more of us than there are of the bad actors if we if we actually work together and we don't let them pick us off one by one.
0: Yeah, I think that's right. And I think only together, right, are we going to solve this problem. No one can as you said, it's a huge landscape and no one can do it alone. Well, Charlie, I want to thank you for chatting with me. I I know how busy you are. And despite the rise in cybercrime, I'm always an optimist, right? I believe cyber defenders are more often than not multiple steps ahead of the bad guys. I try to be incredibly optimistic, and that's why I get out of bed every day and do what I do. And I know you are too. So as we wrap, I would love to hear why you're a security optimist. What is your perspective on how we continue to come together and defend our digital world? Well, I am,
1: and uh, that's why I got into it. If I thought it was a lost cause, I'd I'd probably spend my time on something else. But I I think partly because of this change, we're seeing a lot of uh, capability from cloud and huge changes in what we can do with AI, and that's been apparent for a while. And so I I think that, like I said, I think the asymmetry is changing. I think that that we do have the data advantage, and we certainly have the AI advantage uh, because of that. And so I think inevitably we'll get ahead of it. The question is how fast can we get to this better world? I mean, you think about it. like I saw some estimates that said by 2030, if we don't turn the tide on this, you'll see the take being bigger than the u s economy, and the world just has too many problems you know, to go solve to be wasting our resource this way. I mean, imagine what imagine what six trillion dollars a year would do for climate change for sequestering carbon or something like that. So we've just got a lot better things to spend our time and effort on. And I feel good, the defenders as a community, as an ecosystem, that we're going to turn this around. And it's it's eventually, it's going to be something most people just, uh, most of the bad actors just don't want to waste their time doing. They'll, they'll do something a little more useful.
0: Completely and totally agree. And it's one of the reasons AI is so important, because we do need to close that staffing gap. And one of the ways we can close it is by automating everything so that by 2030, we're not in that position. Charlie, thank you so much again for taking the time to join me today.
1: Oh, thanks for having me, really appreciate it.
0: And many thanks to our audience for listening. Join us next time on Afternoon Cyber Tea. It was an easy decision to invite Charlie Bell to be on Afternoon Cyber Tea. Charlie is leading the entirety of the Microsoft Security Division he's responsible for everything and his vision and the way he works and his optimism and his philosophy. He's just this incredibly talented executive who always brings the right attitude and perspective to the work. And it was an engaging conversation. And I know the audience will love it.
1: This week on the Microsoft Threat Intelligence Podcast, join us as we dig deep into the XZ backdoor with its finder, Andreas Freund, and senior security researcher, Thomas Rochia. Be sure to listen in and follow us at msthreatintelpodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.